0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. All right, so school is back, and we uh, in various different forms, right? Some people are going to school, some people are learning at home, online, in person, all these different ways, but we wanted to have a moment to just pray for all those impacted, and so um, it's going to be a, a crazy time for students um, to, to experience what this is new learning systems like and to be able to work through that. A uh, hard time for teachers and, and administrators as they're trying to figure out how to best teach from a distance. Hard for parents as they're making these decisions and what's best for their kid and how to do it. And so we just want to take a moment to pray in the middle of our service for this. As kids are going back, uh, as college students are going back. And so I, I want to ask, if you are a student... Uh, it, rather from college on down if you are a parent of a, of a child going back to school If you are a teacher or an administrator or somehow uh, Working with the school system and impacted by this if you would stand for a moment Because we would like to pray for you and so if you will stand uh, If you are any of those things a, a student a, a parent anything um, While they're standing uh, if you guys will look around, those that are still seated, um, look around at the people that are standing, and we're going to pray for them. And so, um, normally we might come around them and put our hands on them, and we can't do that anymore. Alright? And so, we're just going to put our hands up from a distance and pray for them. And so, if you will stand up and, and point your hand towards someone close to you, uh, I think this whole section standing. So, someone point their hand over there because they need prayer. No one's, no one's there to pray for them. So, um, sorry guys. We'll pray for you. Alright? And so, if you, if everyone will stand now and we're just going to pray, um, point your hands towards some of these people and let's just pray for, for what's about to happen in their lives. So if you guys will pray with me, God, we just lift up these students um, that they'd be able to experience you, um, God, through uh, their learning, that they would their, their learning would be to discover new riches that is in you, ways that you have created things, what you have mastered and put together that they're discovering and learning. God, for the relationships, friendships, the interactions, let it be glorifying to you. God, I lift up the parents, as this is a hard time, an anxious time, a time that none of us would ever thought we'd have to figure out how do we send our kid to school, should we send our kid to school, and, and so forth. And so I just lift up the parents, that they have wisdom in your peace. And Lord, uh, lastly, just lift up all those teachers, administrators, uh, people that work in the school system, that they would find wisdom from you, that they'd find peace from you, that in the midst of so many people having opinions and, and obviously vocal with their opinions, let them hear your opinion, that they are loved, that they are precious. Thank you for allowing them to be the hands and feet of you as they care for these students, whether it be from a distance or in person. God, we lift this up in your name. Amen. We are praying for all of you as you head back to school. Uh, As you go from this time of chaos, we're talking about this chaos of uh, when are we even sending students back? It's been chaotic this morning. Uh, Just so you know, we have water again. That's great. Um, And so if if you need water for any particular reason, um, feel free to use it and just use it up. Like, let the sink run. It's okay. We got an abundance. Um, And they're on little timers, so it'll shut off. Um, And so we have water, so don't worry about that. But it's been crazy this morning, right? We're talking about the series is From Chaos to Christ, and this morning uh, we got here and the alarm was going off, and so I called the security system and gave them our code, and, and we, I hit the silence button, and then about five minutes into first service, the alarm went off again, and we got phone calls again, and, and we couldn't figure out how to turn it off and so we had to keep just hitting silent over and over and I tried disconnecting things which I don't think you're supposed to do but we we tried and and so there's something I don't know in the water system they asked me where the water heater is I don't know and so I was like He's me. Let's, let's go look. And so they, they, I think they found it. But um, so it's been chaos. And so to share all that, last service, I'm busy dealing with an alarm. And then 30 seconds later, uh, I quickly come back here, and I'm up on stage sharing about God. And so it made me laugh because truly, like, this is chaos to Christ in that five minutes. But that's been our past five months, Right? That that we've been in chaos and we need to be able to find Christ in the midst of it. That in, in a time where we don't even know how we're sending kids to school, that we can find Christ. And a time where we're looking for jobs because everything fell apart. In a time where uh, just going to a store seems a struggle, how can we find Christ in the midst of this chaos? And so we've been doing this series, Chaos to Christ, and we're looking at the life of David. And so we're going through David, and it covers part of 1 and 2 Samuel. And so we have a little timeline to do a recap, and then also we're going to jump a couple key points to be able to get to the next text in in 2 Samuel chapter 7 today. And so follow along with me. We're going to go through some of David's life real fast. We have chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, God rejects Saul as king. Saul was the king of Israel, he was doing a good job, then he starts turning away from God, and God says, you're no longer going to be the king, I'm taking my spirit from you, and he places his spirit on David. That's what we saw in the first week of our series, 1 Samuel 16, as Samuel goes and anoints David as the future king, just a little teenage shepherd, he's got a long way before he becomes king, but he's anointed as king. The next thing we see is David is face, is goes to the battle line to take food to his brothers, and he hears the taunting of Goliath. He battles Goliath, kills him, holds up his head, and is victorious. We see this David and the story of David, Goliath, and as he goes and he takes the head, he meets Saul's son, Jonathan, and this friendship grows. And that was our next week we was looking at the friendship between David and Jonathan. Saul becomes aware that the Spirit of God has left him and the Spirit of God is now with David and he becomes greatly jealous and and pride creeps in and Saul begins to try to to attack David and kill David throws a spear at him in the the temple or in his palace tries to kill him, David runs and David goes and he meets with Jonathan Jonathan tries to find out, hey is it okay for you to be back or, or is my dad still crazy and wanting to kill you turns out dad's crazy and he sends David out And David then flees. So David is on the run. We get that in 1 Samuel 20 through the beginning of 2 Samuel. And during that time he meets Abigail. We looked at that last week, the story of Abigail and Nabal. Nabal means fool. Abigail is beautiful, intelligent. And once Nabal, her husband, dies, Abigail's single, right? And so David proposes, Abigail accepts, and she's the future queen, but they're on the run. And so they are still fleeing, and uh, eventually, Saul and his sons, and this is a part, that's where we were last week, this is a part we're kind of glossing over. Saul and his sons die in a fight against the Philistines. Saul takes his own life, his sons, not all his family, but uh, the the next heir to the throne, Jonathan, dies in this battle. And so when Saul is removed, when Saul as the king and his son Jonathan die, now there's this vacancy in the throne. And so some people believe the, the house of Saul will continue on, but others know that David's been anointed to be king, and so they prop him up as king. And so in Judah, David is anointed king. But not over all of Israel. There's still this fighting between the two houses. And so this part of Israel, Judah, where David's from, says, he's our king. And, and part of Saul's family says, no, we're king. And so there's this warring between the house of David and the house of Saul. And eventually that war ends, and David is victorious. David becomes king over all of Israel. He establishes Jerusalem as the, the center hub of the kingdom, and. Jerusalem is now being called the city of David because this is where David goes. And neighboring countries <clears throat> congratulate him. Neighboring countries try to kiss up to him, give him gifts, and try to find peace. And so some of those gifts are, are loads of cedar lumber to be able to build a palace in Jerusalem. And he builds a grand, beautiful place. He decides that we need to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and so uh, he goes and they get the Ark of the Covenant, and it's a crazy story. If you want to read something, <clears throat> excuse me, read that story sometime. That's chapter six of Second Samuel. As the Covenant comes, the Ark of the Covenant comes to Jerusalem, and it finally resides. And this is where we pick up back up on our story. If you have your Bibles, open it to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We just covered a whole bunch. I apologize for the quick whirlwind tour of David's life, but this is where we've been up to this point. And so uh, this is where we're at, 2 Samuel chapter 7. We have David in the city of Jerusalem in his grand new palace, and he's sitting on the the patio with Nathan. Nathan was like the, the priest. He was the prophet of Israel. He's like the priest of Israel, the the pastor of Israel, like the Billy Graham of the time. And so he's sitting on this patio with Nathan overlooking his city. Verse 1, after the king was settling in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. And so David sees, he's looking and he's like, "We got this beautiful home. Check out my palace, Nathan. This place is amazing, it's great. And we're looking out at our city and as we look out, there's the tabernacle, this tent where the Ark of the Covenant resides. The Ark is where God, where his spirit was, where where God resided. And so God, in theory, is resting in a tent, a 200-year-old tent at that. A tent that's probably faded and maybe there's some holes. A tent that might not look as good as it did 200 years before. And David's sitting here in this brand new palace saying, this isn't right. I got all this luxury and, and God's just in a tent. Should we fix it? And, and Nathan, as any pastor would say when a wealthy donor says, hey, can I build something for you? He says, sure, let's do it. Right? And so, um, so Nathan says, sure, whatever you want, go ahead. But then that night, Nathan goes home. And God has a different plan. God speaks to Nathan the prophet, for Nathan to go, and then the next morning share at David. And here's what God tells him. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, "Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build a house to, uh, build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all, my, all of Israelite, all, with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, "Why have you not built a house of cedar?" So David is saying to him, "Whoa, I don't need this house." Uh, some theologians say that there's three basic reasons here that, that he would turn aside, and, and one of the main reasons they call it the incarnational principle that God wanted to be incarnate wherever and however the people of Israel were. And so when the people of Israel were nomads leaving Israel, this is how God resided in this temple that could be collapsed and and transported. And the people still aren't that well established. They've just recently come as the center of the the Israelite kingdom to to Jerusalem. There's still indecision and this is a new kingship and, and there's still a lot of turmoil among the people. And God's saying, I'm not ready for a permanent place because my people aren't permanent. This idea that God wants to be among his people, with his people, in the state that his people are in. I think we see that when we well, every Christmas when we look at Emmanuel, which means God with us, that Jesus came in the form of man to be able to be like us, to be able to be with us. And so we have that, and then we also have this idea that God's just saying, I don't need a physical residence. I'm God. It was Psalms 50 verse 12 says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and everything in it is mine. He's saying, David, if I needed a home, we'd take care of that long ago. I'm God. We're good. I don't need that right now. And then finally, God's saying, I don't need anything from you, David. You need something from me. This relationship, we often think, what can I do for God? How can I be good enough for God? How can I give enough for God? How can I do this to earn his favor? And God is saying, it's not about that. It's about what have I done for you. And so we're about to see God completely transforms this conversation from David doing something for God to reflecting on what God has already done for David and what he's going to do. The passage continues, verse 8. Now then... Tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. God's reminding David of where he's come from. Look what I've brought you from. You were just a shepherd in a field, and now, now you're the king. Uh, You used to have enemies attacking you. Now you're in peace. Look where I've brought you from and to be able to bring you to this moment. And so the passage then continues, verse 10, And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. So he says, we're going to have this time of peace. Not only did I bring you out of something, David, but let me show you where we're at right now. David, I don't need you to build me a home. Look what I'm already doing for you. And then he turns the tables. And he presents this, this idea of the future, this, this promise, this covenant that, da- that God provides the passage continues, verse 11, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will rise up your offspring to succeed you. Your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men. With flogging inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation God is making a covenant with David. This is significant. There's several covenants throughout the Bible, and this is a covenant he makes with David. A, a covenant, we often would describe it like a contract, but it's very different than a contract. A contract has both parties agreeing to something and coming together. But where a covenant is, is all dependent on one party fulfilling the agreement. <clears throat> a, co- a contract is different that if I have a contract with a phone company, if I don't pay my bill, the phone company will cut my line. But if they don't follow through and provide me with good service, I can end our service. That is, both of us have to hold up our end of the bargain with that contract. But with a covenant, it's different. With a covenant, we'll see throughout the Old Testament that God has made a promise to the people time and again. And thankfully, it wasn't dependent on the people holding up their end. Because time and again, the people of the Old Testament, the people of the New Testament, people of today like you and me... Let God down. We sin. We make disappointments for him. And he still holds up his end of the covenant to give us eternal life and salvation. The Old Testament has several covenants, and we'll look at those real quick. The first is the covenant at creation that was established that God would be with mankind and that he would be the God over them. And then we have the, the covenant uh, with Noah after the flood, as we share with our children that, there is, uh, that when we see a rainbow, this is a promise that, the, that God would never flood again, that he would never wipe out mankind, and that he would not destroy the wickedness, but that he would continue to love us in spite of it. Then we have the covenant with Abraham. This was a covenant to Abraham that he would be the father of, of many nations, that he would have great descendants, and that he would have great land. And so we have that covenant, and then after the people are after the people of Israel leave Egypt from slavery and go to the promised land, we have the covenant with Israel. And this is a covenant that he would be the God over their people and that the world would see God through them. We then have this covenant with David this covenant that there would be a king on the throne of the kingdom of david and that that king would reign forever that through the davidic line his his kingdom would be established forever and then in jeremiah 31 through 33 we have the new covenant laid out this new covenant is a covenant that is fulfilled, that's the fulfillment of all the covenants. This is, this is illustrating the covenant that would be fulfilled of all the covenants, that God would dwell forever, that a divinely appointed Davidic king would reign eternally, that creation would be reaffirmed, and sin and death were no more. And Jeremiah is pointing to this new covenant, and Jesus fulfills that covenant. The, the new covenant was kind of a summary of it, all of them, and Jesus fulfills that, saying he fulfills all these covenants. That Jesus provides this. We see this, this is spilled out to us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. Verse 15 says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom, to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. The first covenant was creation and Adam and Eve sin. And because of that, sin enters this world and we are all fallen. And Jesus would come. And take away those sins. It says otherwise. It continues on in chapter 9. Otherwise Christ would have had to suffer many times. Since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once. For all the culmination of the ages. To do away with sin. By the sacrifice of himself. Just as the people are destined to die. Once and after that face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once. To take away the sin of many. And he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Jesus Christ fulfilled these covenants. This is an amazing truth to grab onto. To see that there was this promise that God would uphold his end. And the people of Israel, they kept dropping the ball. They wouldn't hold up their end. They wouldn't be faithful. The people of the New Testament wouldn't hold up in their end. They wouldn't be faithful. You and I wouldn't hold up our end, wouldn't be faithful. And yet God still does. Jesus died for our sins to fulfill all these promises. Have you accepted that? Have you realized that? Have you fully embraced that you are that you have salvation because of what Jesus has already done? Have you accepted Christ as your savior? Have you been baptized? Have you been brought into his family? If you haven't, I want to encourage you, come see us in the prayer room. Mike is in the prayer room, and he would love to talk to you about this. Come see one of the elders in the fireside room afterwards. Come see me outside. I'd love to tell you about this amazing, life-changing covenant God has with each one of us and your opportunity to accept him as your Savior and to give your life over to him. And so we look at this passage and, and the, the Davidic De- covenant, and we said Jesus fulfills all this. And so if Jesus fulfills this prophecy, this covenant, then there's something that kind of stands out. There's something that's hard to swallow in this passage. And so let's look at it again, verses 12 through 16. When your days are over, and you, this is God telling Nathan to tell David, right? When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to secede you. Your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with flogging inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, who I removed from, you, from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This idea of doing something wrong... It raises a flag for me when I receive that and I'm thinking, this is about Jesus, and then wait, but Jesus didn't do anything wrong. Jesus was without sin, and and yet he died on the cross for our sins, but he didn't do anything wrong. And this is an example, often many of the prophecies in the Old Testament, and I wanted to make sure that we saw this, has what they call a dual meaning. It's like two mountain peaks. When you're looking at them from a distance, they look like they're right next to each other. But when you're up close, you realize that they're miles apart. And when we see these prophecies from a distance, they look like it's one and the same. But when you get up close, you realize that it's, that it's very interwoven, that there's two parts, a dual meaning. And so Solomon, David's son, the next generation, would be a great king, would be one of the, the wisest men uh, ever on earth, and yet he would do wrong. He would, be, he would face punishment. He would face uh, consequences. In fact, his kids would not fall in, in his ways because of how Solomon raised them. And so when Solomon dies, Israel goes into a civil war and splits up. And so there's that meaning of the prophecy that God is predicting already what is going to come in the next generation. And then there's the part of the prophecy that is predicting what Jesus would fulfill. That for generations to come, forever and ever, the kingdom would reign. The kingdom would be established that someone from the line of David who got Jesus is from the line of David. If we open up the, the beginning of the Gospels, you'll see a genealogy that runs through from some of one from all the way from Adam and Eve. And you see that Jesus is connected to David. He is from the, throne, from the line of David, but, his, but he goes on the throne and reigns forever because he conquered sin and he is now forever our king. If we're willing to accept him as such. And so you have this great covenant that David could never hold up his part of the bargain. And so we we are blessed that it was a covenant, not a contract. That this is a, a promise that God has with David. And because of that promise, Jesus came through David's line. Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Jesus established a kingdom that would reign forever. That you and I can benefit from this covenant. This chapter... Is about us, of meaning that this chapter is, impacts us, that we are beneficiaries of this, of this chapter. We are beneficiaries of this covenant, that his reign is forever because Jesus died and, ro- and conquered sin and rose again. You and I have eternity in heaven if we've accepted him as our Savior. And so David hears this from Nathan. And David's response is beautiful. He has a prayer, and this prayer is different from the prayers that we've seen in the past. In the past, David's been on the run, and now this prayer, he's got a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. All that time on the run, all these struggles he's gone through has grown him to a deeper relationship. And so he has this prayer, and we come to the end of the prayer in these two verses, verse 28 and 29. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of, the, of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. David's whole focus is on the Lord. His focus isn't on what he, what he can do. That's what his hope was. Like, Let me do something for you, God. Let me build a home for you. And he hears this response and realizes it's not about what he can do for God, but what God will do for mankind, this blessing that will reign forever. And so we see this chapter, uh, a very detailed chapter, a chapter that's, that's very impactful for all of time, a chapter that's been fulfilled by Jesus with the Davidic covenant, a chapter that's very significant. And what do we take from this chapter? Uh, I, as I was looking at it, I saw four major insights, four areas that we could, that we could explore. And, and uh, one of these might hit home with you. One of these, might, God might press on your heart. One of these, or two of these might not. Maybe God is speaking on one of these areas in your life right now from this chapter. There's the insight of grace. We see God's grace throughout all this. That David wants to build a home for his God. And God doesn't need that. See, this idea wasn't a, wasn't a, a strange one at the time. King Tut built a, wanted to build a temple for the Egyptian god, Amon Ra. And Amon Ra allegedly said that if you build the, because you built this temple, your kingdom will reign to all the earth. And, and his kingdom did not, the Egyptians did not spread and conquer all the earth. And, and this promise didn't work out. But this was a concept that that King Tut would build a temple to make Amar Ra's name known. And because his name was known, then the God would bless the king. It was based on what I could do, and then I would bring attention to God, and then God would reward me. And Christianity is completely flipped around. There's nothing that we could do that's enough for God. We can't be good enough. We're not going to know enough. We're not going to be able to earn our way into heaven, earn our way into relationship with him. Jesus has already done enough. On the cross and his death and his resurrection, he did enough for us to have salvation, for us to have eternity with God. I talk to people a lot about baptism and, and people say, do you believe that Jesus is the son of, Christ, of God and that he died for your sins and rose again? And they say, yes. And do you believe that he's your savior? Yes. Do you want to live for him? Yes. Why aren't you baptized? And the answer is often, I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. What if people think I'm a hypocrite and see me sin, meaning I, I can't be perfect enough? It's not getting baptized. It isn't about you doing enough, it's about confirming that Jesus has already done enough. If that is where you're at, if you're in this debate, if I should get baptized, if I should give my life over to the Lord, I want to encourage you, there's nothing else for you to wait on because you're never going to reach enough. Jesus already did. And come talk to us and we would love to walk you through that, to share in that rejoicing that Jesus has already done enough. And to dwell on this idea of grace. That it's not based on anything we could do. It's based on what God is willing to do. We can't earn his favor. God will already give it. Because God is full of grace. Perhaps from this story, we, we get insight into Giving. You see, David had a very noble idea. In, in fact, when this story is told in Chronicles, Chronicles is very similar to First and Second Samuel, and Chronicles says in Second Chronicles 6, 8, God's response was, since it was your desire to build a temple for my name, you have done well to have this desire. It wasn't wrong of David to want to do this. But God is saying, I don't need that. I want you, David. He's willing to build the grandest home for God ever in all the kingdom. And God is saying, I don't want that. I want a relationship with you. Let's talk about this relationship. Let's talk about how I brought you out of a field as a shepherd and placed you as king. Let's talk about how, the, how your, your, your house will reign forever. I want this relationship with you. And so when we look at giving, rather we're talking about finances or our, our time. It's not about guilt. It's not about a, a, an idea that you have to give a certain amount. It's about a desire to. It's about that's built out of a relationship with the Lord. That you, if you give a ton or perhaps you don't give at all, either way, what is your motive? Is it a desire to be with God? And how are you acting accordingly out of that heart's desire? How are you acting accordingly to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is that coming through in the way you give? That's what God's looking for is our heart and that relationship. Perhaps from this story, we can see a lesson on disappointment. David had a very noble idea. To build a home for God, that, that was a great thing. And yet God said no. I know oftentimes we have what we see as noble ideas, and, and often they are, good thoughts that, that, that we think is even glorifying to God, and yet somehow the answer is no. That that relationship somehow ends up being a no, that job somehow is a no. That college you want to get into is a no. That desire to have a child ends up being a no. And we're lost in this disappointment and wonder. And I can't help but think, David must have been wondering, why would you not want me to build this house for you? This is a good thing, and yet you say no. Sarah and I, for many years, wanted to have kids. And, and, and we tried, and it just didn't seem like God was going to bless us with children. And we had a lot of tears and a lot of prayers for year after year after year. And then we were thankful God blessed us with Abigail and then blessed us with Isaiah, and then kept blessing us, and, and we, now we can't stop. And, and now uh, we have a two-year-old, and, and now it's a lot later in life than I thought when we'd have a two-year-old. So uh, we'll have her graduation party, high school graduation party at the nursing home where I'm living. But uh, you're all invited if you'd like to come. But this is, this is where we're at, that God's continuing to bless us in this way. But there was a time when we were just lost in disappointment. And perhaps as I look back now, I see that that time was a time that God was building me to be the man these kids needed, to be the husband Sarah needed, that had we had kids when, when we wanted to, we went through a really hard time there, and through medical things and in life situations, that we would not have been the parents that that child needed. We would not have been the marriage that they needed to look up to. And so now I see that his no was his plan. It was not my plan at the time. But it was God's. And so maybe as we see this story, you're going through a time of disappointment, a time of wondering why. And I know these words are hard to, hard to hear because they were for me, but to realize that I need to trust in God in the midst of these hard times. And to be able to come to him boldly in prayer, not necessarily for what my desire is, but for my heart to be the same as God's desire and to come boldly before him. And perhaps the, we get from this story just the insight into God's kingdom. That this story is bigger than David. David thought it was about him. He finally made it as king and let me build a house for God and this reign is going to be great. And, and God tells him, let me tell you, this is way bigger than you, David. Let me tell you, this is bigger than your lifetime, bigger than your son's lifetime. This re- kingdom, this, this house of David will reign forever. Jesus is going to come. The Messiah will be here. He'll fulfill the covenants forever. The story is so much bigger than David's. The story is so much bigger than your story and mine. And if we're living our life trying to glorify our story, trying to build ourselves up, to build our wealth, to build these things, I want to encourage you, look at God's story. Would people be able to have seen God and be pointed towards God's kingdom this week in your life? in your school, at your work, at your home? Would people draw closer to God because of you? And if that's not the case, I want to encourage you, look at the kingdom. Look at the story of the kingdom more than your story. And so, uh, if you, like I said, it's hard for me to focus on multiple things. If, if you know me, it's hard for me to focus on one thing sometimes. But I want to encourage you, zero in on one of these four. Don't try to tackle all four, but what is God speaking to you? Where is an area in your life that you might need to look at this week? Do you need to look at grace? Do you need to look at giving? Do you need to look at where's God in disappointment? Do you need to look at God's kingdom? And perhaps go back and reread this story through those lenses. For me this week, it was about grace. Uh, I'll admit with you uh, this week, I was been frustrated. I've been angry that Christians are are fighting each other on social media over all that's going on, and and churches are bickering at one another about this is how you're supposed to act during this time, and this is how you're supposed to act, and and I get phone calls telling me that we're doing the wrong thing, and emails telling me we're doing the right thing, and and uh, just getting to, it was getting to me, and I was getting angry. And Wednesday, Sarah and I had a time to to talk and. And I realized I'm not giving God's grace. I'm not giving God's grace to the people that are are bickering at each other. I'm not giving God's grace to perhaps the places that I'm being judgmental. And I needed to step back and look at this through God's eyes and to give the grace that He has. And so, uh, as is often, you know, when you say, if you pray for patience, God's going to give you an opportunity to have patience. I was praying for God's grace. And then comes Thursday night, I was on the line on hold with AT&T. We were having some problems, and I talked to a lady, and then she said, I said, can I talk to your supervisor because she couldn't figure it out? And she said, sure. And I get on, and the recording says, you'll be helped in eight minutes. And I thought, all right. So I put on a speakerphone. An hour and 22 minutes later, uh, the speakerphone finally stops the music, and a voice comes on, and Sarah and I are sitting there watching TV late at night. And I was like, oh, here it is. And there, it was a quick recording that said, Due to unforeseen circumstances, your call will be disconnected now. Goodbye. And it just hangs up. And I was like, what? And and I thought about being upset, and then it hit me. I wonder if they disconnected with a lot of people. And I wonder if a lot of people are going to be calling in. And those people that are on the other end receiving are going to get angry people yelling at them, swearing at them, laying out their frustration. And so I just told Sarah, I said, we should pray for those workers at AT AT&T. Because God had been working on my heart for grace. Monday, that would not have been my answer, all right? Uh, I'll be honest with you. It's not like, oh, he's a preacher, that's why. No, Monday, I, was, I would have been angry. Friday or Thursday, when I'd been studying the chapter, when I saw that I needed to dwell in God's grace, I prayed for him. Where do you need to focus on this week? Perhaps grace with me. Perhaps it's on giving. How are you going to give to the Lord? Perhaps it's on disappointment. Maybe you're struggling with that, wondering why. And Maybe it's to dwell in this story that God has the ultimate answer. Maybe it's on his kingdom to look beyond you and to see there's something grander. What does this look like for you? Let me pray for you. God, I just pray that this story, this story in, first, in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is one that we can take to heart that we can draw closer to you in your grace that we can see that it's not about what we can do but about what you've already done that we cannot do enough to earn your favor you have already done enough to earn our salvation and God let us appreciate that if there are people here this morning that need to give their life to Jesus to, to follow him and be dedicated disciples of him let them be impacted by you to, to follow that grace and go talk to someone today God if it is this idea of giving If we've been giving out of guilt Or out of, uh, out of just a have to Let us give out of a spirit of desire Help us realize That what you're seeking is a relationship with us And what we give flows out of that Help us have that relationship With you first and foremost God if there's people here That are struggling with disappointment Can't understand why the door's been closed God help us be able to lean into you to seek what you are wanting with our lives, to help us know that you are God, and that your plan is grander. And God, talking about your grand plan, if there are people here that just need to be refocused, that we've been living for ourselves, we're living for our glory, for, for m- money, for material possessions, for, for fame, for relationships, for pride. God, let us put all that aside and live for you people see you, see your kingdom through us this week in our homes, in our work, in our neighborhoods at our school let people see you because your kingdom your story is so much grander than anything we could ever have God we thank you for your word we thank you for this life of David for this example to us of someone that is desiring to follow you I hope that's the desire of each one of us here God, let us continue to see how to do that and how to have that relationship with you in your name.